We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. God does not save us by a multitude. It never comes by consensus or democratic process or majority rule. You will never be delivered as long as you're thinking that the only way God can act is if he gets enough people to sign up to be on his team. In fact, I want to help you here. The savior motif is always God using one against a thousand. From Grace Bible Church right here in Hayward, this is Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Hi there. Welcome to our Monday program where today we begin a series in the book of Judges. Now we're not going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, but there is a theme that we want to present to you as we spend the next couple of months looking at Judges. Just exactly how does this book fit? I mean, we know about kings, we know about gods, but what about Judges? How does Judges fit into this Savior motif, as it were? Well, that is the question we're answering. We begin today in Judges chapter 3. Won't you join us there? It's an encouraging look at the fights of faith for God's glory. Here's Pastor Jesse and today's broadcast of Way of Grace. This is the book of Judges. It is a savior motif. That's what the book of Judges is, a savior motif. And it's really a call to a fight of faith. And actually in our sub point, it's fights of faith for God's glory. This is what the book of Judges is about, fights of faith for God's glory where God raises up saviors, literally that's the term, to deliver God's people from circumstances into which they find themselves, and that becomes extremely apropos for you and me. The way I want to frame this is that the uh, book of Judges, historically and contextually, is uh, written as a transition point between the patriarchy period of Israel's history from the times of Abraham uh, up to the monarchial period to the times of David. We could structure it this way to help you. We are in between the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. Uh, I want this to be highlighted for those of you who don't sit under my teaching much, and that is the patriarchal period is the way humanity began. God began with a patriarchal history of humanity in the context of families, and over time they became nations, but they nevertheless were still patriarchal in nature. So you and I know that we're dealing with three major covenant frameworks, right? Father, son, king, servant, husband, and wife. So you and I are in the husband and wife era 
covenantally because we are in the new covenant and Christ is our head and we are his bride. But to get to the husband and the wife, you had to have a patriarchal period from Adam all the way up to the monarchial period to David. And from that history of Adam up to David, there was one large block of time, about 300 years, called the period of the judges. Now, all of the other parts are important. The patriarchal period, you should know it theologically, you should know it redemptively. It should be something that you have understood as being part of your own life, the fabric of your own life. And certainly, you, know, you should know something about the monarchial period because you and I are basically living in a post-monarchial era, you and I. The world still has monarchies, but the world is not dominated by a monarchial period. We are in a post-monarchial period. The church age is a post-monarchial period in terms of the nations operating out of uh, democracies and totalitarian fascist systems, etc. You don't have real monarchies. Even Europe is not a monarchy. And even though you have eras in the world, areas in the world where there are so-called kings, they are not uh, what we would call classically or technically monarchies. We are past the monarchial period in God's prophetic time clock. But between the era of Abraham and the era of David, we have what is called the period of the judges. Now, again, the judges have always been on the earth. Every leader that represented God was a judge. But what we're dealing with here is a transition between the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 15 through 17 that out of you, Abraham, would proceed nations and kings. And we're in between that period. I could also say to you that what we want to keep in mind is the fundamental attitude of the children of Israel at this time, because they are not formally a nation. They are a group of tribes. The tribes are not cohered under one dominant theocracy or king yet. So each tribe is really operating on its own. And that's important to know, because in this New Testament era, if we were to carry a parallelism on a theological or a religious front, that's where we are. We are not operating on this earth under one, if you will, theo-monarchial rule. The Catholic Church tries to play that game, and the Orthodox tries to do it as well with their patriarchy and their, uh, their uh, popery, where they have one representative head over the church. We have a real head. He's not a representative. The Lord Jesus is a real head over his church, which is his body on this earth. But we're not operating on a practical level as one cohesive, identified community under Jesus. We're very much as it was in the days of Judges, particularly in the attitude, no, and expression of our life. This is why if you pay careful attention to our series, you will learn a lot of things. The attitude was such because, as the scripture says twice in the book of Judges, now in those days, there was no king in the land. And everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. That's the theme running through a non-visible monarchial rule where people were functioning out of their own reasoning and logic and doing things to survive based upon their own notion 
And that's where we are today in the church around the world. You go from one church to another church to another church and you'll find all kind of nuanced differences and distinctions and behaviors and attitudes and emphasis and doctrinal contradictions because everyone is operating out of their own reason and their own logic. For the true believer, he or she should defend the ability to say we have a king And he has given us a law, a constitution, a set of decrees called the word of the living God. And the word of the living God is our rule of faith, life, and doctrine. And we have no liberty to avoid or deviate or distort or diminish or deny that authoritative claim. So where we do, we are functioning just like most of the children of Israel in the days of the judges. Am I making some sense? So we're going to drill down further because we have to, because we are in a state of chaos in America. As Israel is going to demonstrate itself to be in a state of chaos. Now, here's what I want you to get around the concept of faith. And this is especially important for new believers. And we have a lot of them at grace now. And so thankful that God was able to work contrary to this crazy era called the pseudo pandemic to still save men and women. But what I, yes, and what I want to say, what I want to say to many of you is that as a new believer in, in Christ, make sure you maintain your momentum of fervor and passion for Jesus. Make, ta- make, make sure you maintain your momentum and fervor and passion for Jesus because your, your, your life of faith is not only a walk, it is a fight. It's not just a walk. It's a fight. And if you're going to win this fight, you're going to have to learn how to fight. And if you're going to maintain advancing in your walk, you're going to have to keep your momentum up. You'll discover that when you learn how to maintain your momentum in your walk with God, when the obstacles come up in your life, you can walk right through those obstacles because you maintain your momentum. Where you slow down, your obstacles will get bigger. Where you slow down, your obstacles will become more difficult for you to overcome. Half the battle is simply keeping up with your Lord Jesus Christ. Because he goes before you to fight for you, as we shall see here in a moment. For those of you who understand that the just shall live by what? And they shall walk by what? And they shall die in faith. But that walk is also a fight. You must know that child of God. The account also will be able to help some of us who have experienced what is called a reversion, a reversion or um, regression of walk. You will discover that from time to time, if you are not careful, you will actually be going backwards and not forwards. So we have believers who have come, become aware that they are not making progress in their walk with Christ. They're going backwards. They're finding themselves in traps that they used to be free from, now trapping them again. They're finding themselves in bondages from which they used to be liberated, bringing them back into captivity. They're finding themselves in some cases worse now than they were before they came to Christ. 
And they're trying to figure that out. Where our study in the book of Judges will help you with that. Because that's called backsliding in the word of the living God. And the reason there's a backsliding that takes place, I'm going to help you here, is that our walk is not one where we're operating on level ground. The walk of the believer is always an ascent up to heaven because it's a high calling, a holy calling, and a heavenly calling. So the believer is not walking level, nor is the believer walking down. It would be easy to walk downhill. How easy would that be? But Paul said, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ. You know what that means? No believer gets the right to be lazy. And the reason why is walking uphill requires conditioning. Walking uphill requires being in shape. Walking uphill requires intentionality. Walking uphill requires the grace of the living God. Now, I'll just put a little caveat out here for you. If you want to understand what some of us already know is that whenever God causes you to have to engage your enemies in your walk, he always positions you at the top. Okay, I want you to get that. This is called the Armageddon battle. Whenever God's enemies come after you, they have to go up to God. And in them going up to God, God sets them in traps so that we come down on our enemies instead of having to go up on them. Am I making some sense? This is called the Armageddon battle. And we always win in that life. But this is a right thought process. You got to think right. This is why I'm trying to help the saints learn how to have transcendent thinking. Because if you are clear that you are seated in heavenly places and that your perspective of life comes from a heavenly view, then all your foes are downward. And all you have to do is lean into the will of God and you can deal with your adversary, particularly when God fights for you. Am I making some sense? If you as a child of God, however, are finding yourself looking up at your enemy, your thought process is wrong. You have failed to understand your position in Christ and you are no longer walking by that faith that grants you power because of your position in Christ to deal with your foes. Am I helping you? Now, this is extremely important, extremely important. We'll be getting this with our men's study and you ladies and women's theology class. This is going to be a critical exercise for you as well so that you can you can maximize your walk with Christ and you can optimize your daily engagement with him in the context of sanctification. It's important for you and I to know this then that there is a principle with with regards to this thing called a warfare. And that is this. God does not save us by a multitude. It's important for you to know that God doesn't save us by multitude. It never comes by consensus or democratic process or majority rule. Like you and I will never be delivered as long as we're waiting to see how many people agree with us. You will never be delivered as long as you're thinking that the only way God can act is if he gets enough people to sign up to be on his team. In fact, I want to help you here. The savior motif is always God using one against a thousand or two against ten or a small group against hundreds of thousands. Did y'all get that? Because that's the only way God will get glory. For God, too many people is a hindrance. And the reason why is that God doesn't need any of us. God is victorious by nature. But what you and I need is to understand that 
The man that is able to walk with God, God can deliver them from any foe, any enemy. It doesn't matter how many. And this is really important because in the book of Judges, this is what the children of Israel are going to collapse into. They're going to collapse into what we call earthly political thinking. See, in earthly politics, you win by having more people on your team. You don't win by having more people on your team with God. God said it very clearly in Exodus 23, verse 2, you shall not, you shall not ever follow a multitude to do evil. And what's inherent in that text is the multitude is going to do evil. Well, pastor, those are the secular folks. No, I'm sorry. I'm talking Christian folks. When there's more Christian folks, the more, the more there are Christian folks, the more, the more there are Christian folks, the more carnality gets forced into the assumption that because we are many, God will do it our way. The more the Christian folks, the more there is the assumption that because we are many, God has blessed us. That is a fallacy of logic. It never follows that God blesses the multitude simply because it's the multitude. What really does follow is that the multitude will rise up and walk explicitly contrary to God's will simply because they're in the majority. Y'all got that? It's very clear that's what's going on in our country where we have abandoned God and his word for politics. I just quoted Exodus chapter 23, verse 2. Will you pull it up? Pull it up. I want you to see this. I'm laying the foundation for you guys for the book of Judges because I want you to understand the book of Judges is not antiquated. It ain't old at all. Like when this thing unpacks, you will see yourself. Hopefully you will see your savior. And hopefully we will understand what he is calling us to do to maintain our calling as a people in the world. But listen to what this text says and tell me, does this not correspond with where we are today? You shall not follow a multitude to do evil. Neither shall you speak in a cause in order to decline. That is depart, walk away from and twist, twist God's word. Do you see that? Is that where we are today? Did y'all get that? I know that's old Saxon English. You shall not follow a multitude. You shall not speak into a cause to decline after many, to go after many, to actually get the approval of many by resting or twisting God's word. Did y'all get that? See, that's called politics. That's what a politician must do. But a preacher of the gospel and the ministry of the gospel must never lean into political machinations to get their way. That's where we are. And you and I have been taught how to do that. If you get 51 votes, you win, but you may not be on God's team. This is where we are today in our world and Christians have to overcome that. I love this. Look at verse three. I'm going to show you a little something going on today right here in verse three. Notice what the text says, children of God. Verse three says, neither shall you continence a poor man in his cause. Do you see that? You know what God is teaching? You and I must never, ever have a respect of persons. We must never merely lean into accepting someone as being right because they're black or wrong because they're white or wrong because they're rich or right because they're poor. You and I must address the cause objectively, reasonably, rationally, scientifically, biblically, and theologically all by itself. That's called justice. Am I making some sense? Right. So it's important for you and I to understand that what we're going through in our world today is not new. 
it's only an indicator that the church has departed from the crown rights of Jesus Christ as the foundation of its authority. Now, what we're about to do is walk through seven ideas around kind of the foundational things that are in the book of Judges that I want, to, want you to get. I'm going to make parallels between the old and the new. This is what it's meant to be a gospel preacher, right? We take old things and demonstrate the reality of Christ in them because the whole Bible is a what? Hymn book. It's about Christ. Point number one, therefore, in our outline, which is extremely important, the land of Canaan was a grace gift given to the children of Israel. Y'all see that? It was a grace gift given to the children of Israel. As much as you and I are looking in our text at the children of Israel asking God what to do in terms of possessing the land, please understand that the land was given to Israel under certain covenantal conditions that had nothing to do with their um, contribution on a meritorious level. And I want you to see how this works. This is Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 10 through 12. Now, I want you to hear this language because this here is a description and symbol of the grace of God. And you might be able to uh, uh, answer this for yourself. You might be able to say, you know what? If this is true of Israel, this is true of me, too. Now, watch this. For the land where you are going to possess it is not as the land of Egypt. Didn't we talk about that last week, saints? Did y'all get that? Watch this. From whence you came out, where you found yourself sowing your seed and watering it with your foot as a garden of herbs. Do you see the uh, contradistinction? In Egypt, you were working. In Egypt, you were laboring. In Egypt, you were toiling. Because Egypt is a picture of sin, being under the curse of sin, under the curse of the law, being under works religion. Did y'all get that? That's what Egypt is a picture of, and that's what God has to bring us out of, does he not? Is it not freedom from Egypt that Israel had in order to actually become a people? Right. So mark what God says in Egypt. They were under the task mastery of Pharaoh in Egypt. They were laboring by the works of their own hand. And didn't it go from bad to worse? Did it go from bad to worse, saints? And that's the grace of God to bring you to a place where you cry out to God and recognize your condition is so bad. That just cannot be God's goodness in my life. And that's the nature of sin for all of us. We are all by nature Egyptians. Y'all got that? And God has to bring us out by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And the redemption is one of grace. Now we're coming through the wilderness and we're entering into the promised land. And please understand this. God is saying the land that I'm taking you to is nothing like the land you came from. Now what this means by application, if, if I have your ear is where you and I are going is not a place that you and I are familiar with. Because grace land is nothing like sin land. And it's important for you and I to understand that our walk towards grace land is calling us up out of sin land. Although you know the history of Israel, they always wanted to go back to sin land. This is part of your struggle, part of my struggle. Is it true? This is part of our struggle. For the land, whether you are going to possess it, is not as the land of Egypt from which you came out, where you sowed seed, watered it with your foot as a garden of herbs. Look at verse 11. Here's what he said. But the land, whether you go to possess it, is a land of hills and valleys, and it drinks the water of heaven. Now, who made heaven and earth? Who's pouring out the water upon those hills and lands? 
clear distinction between Egypt and the land of Canaan. And God is inferring here that he's the one that's cultivating and tilling and preparing the land for his people to enter into. Isn't that beautiful? Listen to the next verse then. A land which the Lord your God does what? He cares for. Now the saints enter into a grace land that God cares for. Beautiful situation. A land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are sometimes upon it. Whoa. From the beginning of the year, even to the end of the year. Saints, get this. I don't want to stay here alone, but get this. Where the saints go to, from which they come out of bondage, is a place where God has already gone before you to cultivate and prepare and to nurture and provide. So all you do is enter into the blessing of it. Well, you are listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. Closing out our time together today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know how the program encourages you in your walk with Christ. Questions, comments, prayer requests are always welcome. You can either write to us, give us a call, or stop by our website and drop us an email. Now, the best place to go, of course, is the website. Not only will you be able to write to us via email, you'll be able to get more information about who we are, what we believe, worship times, how to get here. Grace-Bible.com is our website. Again, that's Grace-Bible.com. If you wish to give us a call, the number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, our address is 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street. Here in Hayward, the zip code 94541. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. One final note as we close out our time today, this program is listener-supported. If you wish to partner with us, we would be more than grateful. This broadcast airs throughout the Bay Area, as well as online, impacting thousands for the sake of Christ. And that is our hope and our goal. If you'd like to partner with us along those lines, feel free to write or give us a call. No gift is too large, no gift too small, whether a one-time gift or a monthly support. You're more than welcome to reach out. We would love to partner with you as we minister the gospel of Jesus to the Bay Area and the World Wide Web. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace.